Welcome back, everyone, to Seaweed Brain, a Percy Jackson podcast. We are on chapter four of The Chalice of the Gods. We have lots to discuss today, from himbos to chickens to karaoke, and we are joined by two extremely special returning guests, so stick around. Yay! Welcome back. Let me refer to you by your full government names. Welcome back, Maddie, who won trivia, and Tom, her dad. How are you both doing? is back. We had a lot of fun last time. Yay! We were just catching up before recording. There's been a lot, a lot of great things going on. Um, Maddie is basically an Olympian athlete. Wait, Olympic. <laughs> just to clarify that, national athlete in the under 15th level, which is a far cry from an Olympic athlete. I think it's the same. Still very impressive. For someone who doesn't know anything about sports, that's all the same to me. Okay. <laughs> Tom, how are you doing? Doing very well. Um, the, the life of a parent running around after children. Um, <laughs> very pleased to be into summer, um, having a Yay! good time. We did establish last episode that we were going to ask one book-specific question to our guests, which is... What's your favorite beverage? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we did establish that last time. It's true. Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, I can see that here in the outline. Okay. Probably bubble tea. Okay. What flavor? What level of sweetness? How much ice? You know. <laughs> level of sweetness depends on the day and how much, how much other sweet things I have had or I'm planning to have. I respect that. That's a good answer. Usually like between half and full sweetness, strawberry, iced tea, as many popping pearls as I can have, and lychee jelly. Hey. Oh, <gasps> sick. Period. Packed out. Good for you. <laughs> what about you, Tom? I would have to say, and this happens very rarely, the most magical thing for me is having a beer after you've been working outside or something. Like, mm. and you've been doing work in the garden or something, or any, any which for me is not hard to classify something as hard work. Um, <laughs> magical single beer at, on, on a hot day. <laughs> I think oh wow fun. okay That's a, yeah. those are two excellent answers as i understand it maddie has finished the book not to out all of us but maddie's the only one out of this group of people <laughs> who has finished the book so far do you want to tell us like broadly did you like the book i love the book i'm so glad oh. to be back in percy's perspective i love percy so much he's so funny yes it's great to have kind of a more like light-hearted one because I, I love the original series i love the whole <laughs> the world is in danger high stakes but like I feel like the stakes are here in this book as well. It's just that the stakes in this case are getting into college with your girlfriend. And I am so here for it. It's great. (laughs) Absolutely. And Tom, how are you feeling about the book so far? Well, a a large proportion of how much I know about Percy Jackson is from speaking to my children and listening to your podcast. I I haven't read a lot of the books, but I'm liking it so far. Something I really like is it's, it's like Percy's grown up. You know that transition when you go from school to university, or college, as, as you guys would say, and when you get to college, <laughs> everyone's like, I don't care who you were at school. I don't care who you were or what you did. You're at college now and yeah. now you have to do yourself. And that feels mm-hmm. a bit like what it's like for Percy now. He's, he's sort of moved into this new part of his life and no one cares that he saved the world when he was a little child. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all, all the gods are like, what have you done for me lately? And wow. I really like that. That's a very profound framing device. But that's so right. Yeah. yeah. Previous accomplishments, no. Exactly. And that's what it's like when you get to college. It's yeah. like when you're at school, you think, you know, I'm really cool. I'm, a, you know, I'm in whatever you call the, the final year of high school in America. I'm a senior. And then you get to college and you start all over again. Oh, yeah. yeah. 100%. You, yeah. You get to experience yeah. later. 
<laughs> really look forward to that. Yeah, it's a good time. <laughs> yeah. Pros and cons. I mean, Carter, we were talking about like how you're basically redoing your freshman year of college right now. Do you feel like that <laughs> rings true for you? There are some similarities and some differences. The biggest difference is that I'm old now. Um, and uh, uh, it feels different. And I think I have a, a, a life outside of the, the confines of the specific academic institution that I have just moved to, Yeah, which is good. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, this book is all about getting older and like the fear of that, but also looking forward to it. it we'll get to some really specific quotes about that today. Yes. Deep thoughts about this book. I am so ready. Yes. Okay. All that being said, let's dive into chapter four. I take a himbo for smoothies. Remember when we talked about Rick learning new words, Carter? You said that you were like, I love when Rick learns a new word. <laughs> I love when he learns a new word, even if I would say he has learned the word like 75% of the way. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The himbo in question, we're going to spoil it, is Ganymede. Discussion question for the group, is Ganymede a himbo? How do we feel about that characterization? Because I think no. Um. I think Ganymede's in a tough position. <laughs> I really, like all of Olympus thinks he's, he seems a bit of a gold digger. And yes. he's just this guy who's just hanging out. And Zeus, gods are the worst in this. I, I don't know how you guys yeah. feel Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he just snatches him up and installs him, and now he's a he's a god, and he's got to make the best of it. And I, I've got a lot of time for Ganymede. I would like to pose a similar discussion question, which is: Is it homophobic that all of the Olympians think that Ganymede is a gold digger? <laughs> I was like, what is this? <laughs> and Rick has been very explicit about going, no, 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 the gods are not homophobic. I promise. I promise you all, they're not homophobic. Yes, here we are. He really went on a whole monologue in Trials of Apollo. To, to, to demonstrate that. <laughs> it's so true. We <laughs> ourselves with such trivial things. Maddie, you are the most hip and with the times. Do you think Ganymede is a himbo to your understanding of the of the vocabulary term? Somewhat. I'd say I'd, I'd say he's like, as Carter said, 75% of the way there. Yeah. <laughs> Almost a himbo. He's got some of the characteristics, but there's more to him than that. Yeah. He's complex. He's layered. Yeah. He's a layered himbo. I also really think that M- Rick learned the word himbo from Marco Shiro. Yeah. We can only yeah. assume. Yeah. We, we must assume. <laughs> the amount of times Rick was like, Mark's influence is just like everywhere in this book. <laughs> yeah. Starts with himbo. There is like a brief description of Ganymede in the outline. I think we've talked about this a lot. We've beaten this subject to death. Ganymede looks as is, like the description is t- completely consistent with that Reed Riordan post oh my god with the the artist image in that he looks like a like an early 2000s boy band member that's what it is early 2000s boy band but like i think it's like somewhere between early 2000s boy band but then also like i i would say that the the um the jewelry is giving halfway between like maybe justin bieber resurgence and modern day fourth gen k-pop yeah wow he is so confused right now he doesn't know what you're talking about no idea. <laughs> i'm pretty sure he's lost from 2000s boy bands like i was there for 2000s <laughs> band i know what k-pop is but i don't know okay. the, <laughs> i don't know what the distinction Progress? of fourth generation k-pop is many do not we needn't get into it <laughs> <laughs> We needed. Yes. My favorite part about the scene was Annabeth guessing in like under 20 seconds who Ganymede was and sharing with us the history of the character. I missed her doing that so bad. I know. It reminds me of Battle of the Labyrinth where she's with the Sphinx or something. And the Sphinx is just rattling off these questions like, what's the capital? She's just correct. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What's the square root of 60? And she's just like, Sophia, 
four. And just, and then she's like, this is too easy. And Percy's just like, which reminds me of Percy sitting here just being like, how'd you guess this, Annabeth? And Annabeth's just like, I'm just a genius. This was my second favourite chapter. I liked the, even I who haven't read all the books, it was really nice seeing the gang all back together and, and hanging out. Yeah, absolutely. I think we should highlight the different smoothie orders, particularly, I just want to shout out Annabeth's smoothie order being like brain food stuff that Percy <laughs> said, like turmeric, ginger, coconut milk. I think that's very in line with her character. Would yes. you all agree? She would consume like a savory spiced smoothie. <laughs> yeah. 100%. I feel like it was a day for her, though. Like, I feel like she would also absolutely consume like the most sugar filled, atrocious smoothie if she was in the right mood yeah i oh, agree yeah. she's like in her cute new york after school moment she was like i gotta get my kale in gotta get my ginger gotta yeah, stay healthy but if it was like yeah. i just finished this massive assignment for my architecture course and now i want a reward she would 100 percent get that smoothie as she should yes giant oreos milkshake okay that's, yeah. flurry. that's not a smoothie but yeah she would and she should <laughs> I think the funniest thing about what Annabeth is doing here is that, like, she like she discovers Ganymede because he references, like, his trauma, which is the Golden Eagle. Ganymede viscerally reacts to this, and Annabeth immediately, like, clocks him because of that, which yeah. is kind of a read. But then she immediately turns around and is like, like, well, obviously I could tell it was you because you're gorgeous, because you're so pretty. Yeah. I have this little note next to the eagle thing where Ganymede's like, I have some unresolved trauma about eagles and I've just got written next to it every PJO character ever. <laughs> Literally. Like, yeah. choose a random thing to have unresolved trauma about. Eagles. I also love that Grover knows who Ganymede is immediately. But I think it's because Grover thinks he's pretty, you know? Like, for Grover, it's in like a, well, yeah, I've heard of you. You're like super pretty way. Are you trying? Wow. Not agree? Carter. I, mean, I I understand the vision, but I'm astonished by the speed of your turnaround on Grover. Because I do feel like if we were having this conversation in 2021, you would unquestionably say that Grover's too boring to have that kind of wow. a, a take, that kind of a, a life experience, that kind of a vibe. But I think it is correct. I, I see the vision. I've done a 360 on Grover. Were you not a Grover fan back in the day? No, but you know what? I also wasn't a Rachel Elizabeth Dare stan when we started this podcast. I had a lot of things I had to work through from my original childhood reading of these characters. Now, question of the day, Dad. Do you know who Rachel Elizabeth Dare is? Is she the non-demigod woman that Percy went out with for a while? <gasps> Ding, 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 ding. Wow, I guess trivia winning runs in the family. <laughs> the defining controversy, if one will, of Rachel Elizabeth Dare is that she had the unmitigated gall to go out with Percy Jackson when yes. everyone wanted Percy to go wow. out with Anna. Is, am I reading that correctly? Yeah, pretty much. Factual recall and contextualization. Bo yeah, bonus. <laughs> the great full answer. <laughs> You've passed the Sphinx test. <laughs> Oh, okay. So what's the Riordan verse, you know, modernization of being the cupbearer to the gods? He basically runs like Uber Eats, but for beverages. Someone stole the special chalice, which is important only because if Zeus decides to throw a feast tomorrow, then Ganymede better have that chalice. And Zeus very well might throw a feast tomorrow. <laughs> Knowing Rick Riordan, I would guess it's in a week and exactly a week from today. I would have to guess <laughs> there's going to be a feast. The cup's been stolen. This is, of course, the titular role. The Chalice of the Gods. There's some great narrative commentary about the gig economy. Rick is really in his 
we're about to yeah. talk a lot about boomers. Like, you have some <laughs> critiques to offer, and I think you still have to forward this book. Like, that's the other thing that I absolutely adore about this. He's not like beating around the bush metaphor for capitalism. It's boomers suck. They destroyed the world. Blah, 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 blah. I won't spoil it because we're about to get to that. But he's just like straight up. The system sucks. We have to re- burn it all to the ground. Like we're not having the <laughs> metaphors of the trials of Apollo days. We are straight into it because clearly the right people did not get the message the first time around. <laughs> I was truly shocked by the boomer commentary that we are coming up. I was like, whoa, Rick, you really needed to get some stuff off your chest. <laughs> okay. How, how old is Rick? Is he he, like, I believe he is a boomer. That's that was where Wait. I was going. He's fifty nine. So he's boomer. Wait, what counts as boomer? what? Boomer adjacent. Fifty nine. Fifty nine is Gen X. Yeah, that's. I'm not a boomer, and I'm always fifty nine. I'm not. But well, Rick's parents yeah. were boomers? Question mark. Potentially, boomers are like a generation above me. Boomers are they? Yeah, the bo- boomer is like a born. In the late fifties, <gasps> into the fifties, he is I think, a right? between fifty-seven and seventy-five years old. He is. He's a boomer. Rick Riordan is a boomer. So he's, but he's, like barely then. Yeah, yeah. He is. He's a nice okay. boomer. Rick Riordan is a boomer in the way that Carter and I are Gen Z, like barely. Just <laughs> scraped in under the wire. Barely. I am very much a Gen Z, and I am wearing skinny jeans right this second. So. <laughs> You're a millennial at heart, Maddie. What can I say? <laughs> I will not get this one of my friends this episode for the next three weeks. It will be Maddie, you're a millennial. <laughs> Thoughts on avocado toast, Maddie? Okay, I'm quite fond of it. <laughs> That's amazing. Shout out to the millennials listening. Um, oh. You know who you are. Keep on keep on rocking the, the skinny jeans. You're you're also you valid. You. <laughs> <laughs> the point I was, I was thinking was if he is a boomer, he's probably more comfortable sledging boomers. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. he, he a he sort of is one, and b he understands it more than he probably understands yeah. being a than he does being a millennial or being a Gen X or whatever. I mean, no one else has much trouble slandering. I boomers. know, I know, they have it so rough. <laughs> I really think Rick taught like literally all of the eight year olds who are reading this book right now. They were probably like, "Mommy, what's a boomer?" And why did they quote did unquote they destroy the world? <laughs> <laughs> No, oh my god, what if the gods are the boomers? Like, what if that's the reference there? Well. Like, all this time. Well, yes. That is the extended metaphor, right? Because they're the ones who currently are in power and making all the decisions, even though that it doesn't really affect them. Yeah. Oh, wow. And messing a lot of stuff up. Well, I think that's the end of chapter four. <laughs> yes. Yeah, chapter five, we're still having this conversation with Ganymede, um, and specifically, we are getting details about, like, what the chalice does. And we are naming suspects. But first, Ganymede makes everyone swear to secrecy before he explains the full situation, which is that he does not know who's stolen the cup. Number one. Number two, the cup grants immortality, which is obviously very important, but also is hearkening back to our past adventures with Percy. Like, part, part of what he explains here is that um, he thought that Percy would be an especially good person to carry out the quest because he knows that Percy is not going to be tempted by the cup because he's already turned down immortality. Oh, that makes that sense. Was sick. That was an interesting callback. Did, did people follow this logic? This made sense to me. I was, and I, I love the like callback to he refused it then and he would still refuse it now. Like he would, yes. be, like he would stand his ground even 
now. That's the jump that's interesting is that Yanni means like you did it once and like so I, I feel confident that you'll do it again. It was like very fascinating. But like it's true. Personalized better understanding of how awful the system is and how bad the gods and Olympus can be than he did when he turned down immortality the first time. And seeing Ganymede and what immortality's done to Ganymede, Percy's just like, I would I don't want this. He very, very much does not want immortality. And it's not even just because he wants to stay with Annabeth anymore. Like he has like a whole host of reasons for not wanting to be a god that have just gotten more complex as the books progress. And this is why I don't think Ganymede is a himbo. Mm. He hasn't just seen the notice on the board that Poseidon put up there and ripped off the, the thing and said, this will do. He's thought it through. He understands the depth of his dilemma and he says, yeah, this is the right person to help me solve this problem. He's not a himbo. I think That's Drama King Drama King might be a more appropriate <laughs> way of describing Ganymede because he clearly does yeah. have intelligence. He's he's because a himbo, I, I believe the technical definition is someone who is very pretty but not very intelligent. And Ganymede, he is very pretty, yeah. but really is at least somewhat intelligent, so but very dramatic. So I think perhaps Drama King might be the more apt description. Yes, he is into the the, the histrionics. <laughs> <laughs> there was a quote I wanted to read, but I, I it actually doesn't come until they start talking to Hebe, actually, about Percy. It's the one where Percy's like, I chose systemic change. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's very closely related. Like we're we're thinking a lot about immortality and what it means. It's it's appropriate for for like what we were saying about this being a book about transitions and about not just like coming of age being like a person who is undergoing a lot of changes but specifically crossing a threshold, which is what Percy is trying to do here, right? A threshold into adulthood. It also is like a check-in on the like demands that he had at the end of the last Olympian. Like in Heroes of Olympus, we talk about them building more cabins and we see some demigod children of minor gods here and there but this is a check-in on like uh, i believe percy says the other thing that gods and cats have in common is that they're not so great at learning new tricks like <laughs> he basically is saying as much as i demanded systemic mm-hmm. change back in the last olympian um it's taking a while for that to really yeah. sink in and yeah. i think for the people who were like not sure that Rick should have written this book or the people who were kind of anti-Percy having more adventures. I feel like Percy is going to keep having adventures as long as it takes the slow wheel of systemic change to move and to encourage the gods to actually um, own up to their word. He's going to have to keep at the work, which is very Percy Jackson. And it justifies this book for me personally. Not that I need a justification. (laughs) I feel like it's also, that again is a bit of a shout out to the whole transition nature of the book in that when when you're how Percy Jackson was in the trials of Apollo and so forth, like things resolve much more easily when you're a little kid. It's like, yes, he's demanded that the gods make this change. Of course it will happen. Let's all, you know, go off and play computer games or something. All is good. You know computer games. <laughs> but when you're when now he's transitioning into adulthood and life is never that simple. And it's, it is going to, as you say, it's going to be a years and years long journey to actually get this systemic change to actually hold and work. And I sort yeah. of, I like that he's doing that. Mm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Ganymede is like, I do have some ideas of where the chalice might be, who might have taken it. Hebe and Iris were the only two people who were like cupbearers before me. Um, and he's like, yeah, well, I don't like Hebe at all. Like she's the goddess of youth and she's so immature. Uh, she really needs to grow up. And Percy was like, well, that said the 3,000-year-old 20-something. The <laughs> sass is 
unreal in this chapter. They are really tearing Ganymede apart. <laughs> and like justifiably, like th there's that line, Percy, and another point, um, why do gods keep losing their magic items? It was like a job requirement for them. One, become a god. Two, get a cool magic thing. Three, lose it. Four, ask a demigod to find it. <laughs> you might remember that the Percy Jackson and the Olympians book series began with a book called The Lightning Thief, <laughs> in which multiple gods have lost their items and they are asking a bunch of 12-year-olds to go find them for that. <laughs> That's how you do a callback. That's fun. And it, it's nice to see the impertinence grow and change and mature Ooh. as um, <laughs> as the incompetence of adults appears in different lights. Because I feel like Percy, <laughs> he's always been this sassy. It's just that he's getting more confident, like actually saying what, what his inner monologue is thinking. In The Lightning Thief, he's like thinking all this stuff, like, oh my God, the gods are stupid, X, Y, Z. But now as he's gotten older and as he's saved the world a, a couple of times and just his confidence has grown, now he's comfortable being like, said the 3,000-year-old 20-something and just like fully sassing literally every person inside and knowing that this is just his thing and he's going to do it and it's going to be really funny and everyone's going to love him for it except for the person who's being sassed. It literally reminds me of Rick. He opened the Chalice of the Gods book tour with a sassy remark about the original movies. Yes. He was like, no shade, a little shade. Yeah. Like In that syntax, too. I love it when Rick's like Gen Z things to say. He's yeah. been studying how to talk to young people. <laughs> and as he gets more sassy... Percy gets more sassy or vice versa. As Percy gets sassier, Rick gets sassier. They are one in the same. Yeah. Oh, the good news is the quest is going to be in Manhattan. So <laughs> that's going to be fun. Is Rick Riordan a red herring sort of a guy? Like he's at the start, we're setting up the, I think it's God A or God B. They neither of them like me. They're both former cupbearers, blah, blah, blah. I would read that as a, it's definitely not going to be either of those two people. It'll be it'll be something else entirely. Am I reading that correctly? What do you think, Carter? Because I would say that would be my guess. I think that's very reasonable. That would be, I think, the the right prediction at this point in the book. Yeah, that we're going to get to know these two people and realize that it was a misdirection. Yes. Yeah. No comment. It also feels kind of like the Greek mythology thing to do, right? That it wouldn't be either of those things. It would be a secret third thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Secret third option. Oh, Percy makes a reference to the giving tree. That's such a middle school English teacher thing to reference, I feel like, for Rick <laughs> to bring in the giving tree here. Except for he says that the gods are like the kid in the giving tree, which is very sad because as a kid, I understood that that book was supposed to make me feel guilty about what my parents do for me. So it's <laughs> bad that for Percy, it was the opposite. <laughs> my favorite chapter so far was basically the one where he had dinner at home. That's right. Chapter three dinner at home and it was lovely and it was just everyone hanging out and Annabeth's there you know with his his stepfather or whatever it is stepfather. and it was just after he'd gone to see Poseidon who was rubbish and who is <laughs> yes. the worst father ever and it was a it was a lovely it was a lovely contrast to that mm -hmm. there should be more of that that's and that's the other thing is I'm loving that sort of stuff and there's there's more of that and Maddie was saying before about how the stakes seem to have been taken away because it's no longer we're trying to save the world from some massive titan or something. It's I'm just trying to get yeah. college recommendation letters and chapters like that for the of, of the at home with the family having dinner and I've got a family that loves me. That that's yeah. magic for me. That like, was my favorite. The, the stakes are still there. It's just that now the stakes are like 
more realistic stakes. Like there are going to be people who are like 17, 18 when this book comes out trying to get college recommendation letters from their teachers and taking their exams and stuff and in their final year of high school around the world just trying to get into university. And this will be relatable on the on the level that Percy, that just Percy Jackson books in general are relatable. But on top of that, like most, a lot of the plot is relatable as well, minus all of the like magic God stuff. But the whole, the overarching concept of I need these recommendation letters so I can get into the college I want to go to. Yeah. Yeah. I also think those quiet moments, like chapter three, which is also, I think our favorite chapter so far, like the, they do like, they establish the stakes in a way. Cause it's not like, it's not direct. Like it's not like he's trying to win a battle so that he doesn't lose his family, but he is like facing that complicated sense of like, well, I'm trying to get this thing that is going to lead to me leaving my family like I'm yes. I am going away from this thing so he's trying to like savor all of this which is like the thing that you do I think when you're a senior in high school and you're like oh wow this is the last time I'm going to be doing any of this it yeah. just establishes the like emotional undercurrent of what he's going through right now I was gonna say I would argue that the stakes are for the fan base the stakes are even higher in this book than they have been before because the fans know the world's going to get saved. The fans know that whatever Titan of the Week is going to get vanquished. Titan of the but Week. The, the, fans, <laughs> Not that. the fans care about Percy. What do you call it? Persever? Yeah. yeah. The fans care about the relationship. And those are the stakes. The stakes are, does Percy get to go to university with Annabeth? And the fan yeah. base... Just, um, just quickly, we do know that he does because this is set before the Tower of Nero and the Sun and the Star where Percy and Annabeth are at university oh, together just this is set so this is set oh, yeah like yeah. that's the whole thing where oh, we like, know the answer i'm not gonna kill anyone i promise i won't kill oh, percy or Annabeth okay or so you can tell so i mean the stakes are still there but you, you yeah, do but know that it's gonna work out all okay right. well that's good spoiler alert for people like me who haven't read every single percy jackson book but <laughs> only this but one. that's what i mean is it's that to the fan base yeah. of do i get yeah. to go with my girlfriend is matters yeah. more than is the world going to get safe because of course it is <laughs> yeah have you heard of the term glup shitto that's like when like something is like really niche star wars lore like, sorry i don't know about glup shitto i think we need to come up with like a percy jackson version of that for like people who like didn't already know that annabeth and percy are together at new rome university you know what's the that's Percy Jackson like niche lore though is it that's just like if you've read the main books which i would presume most of the people reading chalice have you're gonna know that i feel like that's just you that's just me being maddie is not letting her father breathe i told you three times and you didn't listen apparently <laughs> all this is true though yes. the stakes are about persebeth uh, the stakes are always about persebeth whether or not rick is intending it <laughs> um percy double checks that the rec letter will be positive if he finds the chalice which i think is very <laughs> smart that was smart. That's a yeah. tried demigod right there. That's the kind of question you have to ask. Yeah. That was my favorite line in the whole, in all of the Chalice of the Gods that I've read so far. That bit where <laughs> Percy says, and you will, it'll actually be a letter that says something good and you'll, you'll actually sign it. And Ganymede's, oh, you drive a hard bargain, but yes. Like he wasn't <laughs> going to agree to that. He was assuming he wasn't going to do it. Since Percy's actually driven a hard bargain, yes, he will agree to that, but no more. Yeah. And that was my favourite little exchange in the whole book so far. That reminds me of the conversations I have with my philosophy teacher because oh. he's. we kind of have this thing where I find loopholes to what he tells me to do so he finds loopholes to what I say. And so anytime I ask him for something or say something, I'm, like, really, really specific. 
And he's like, I'll get your grades to you next week. And I'm like, okay, when you say next week, do you mean next week starting now or next week starting (laughs) next week? In other words, next, next week. It's like having a genie, isn't it? (laughs) You've yeah. got to, you've got to <laughs> be really specific or you'll end up with three legs or something. That I mean, I still don't have my philosophy great. He said next week, but it'll depend on how we're feeling. Because it's very anti-high school philosophy class to give you a grade. Yeah, he's actually said yeah. he wouldn't give us grades unless he, unless he was being made to. Yeah. We took an exam about 10 weeks ago and only two people have their grades. I recall, yeah, our high school philosophy teacher was like, if you if we have a test and you guys collectively organize yourselves and choose not to take it and go hang out at the snack bar instead, then you will all get an A. <laughs> because that will be a lesson in community organizing and um, realizing that we are trapped in a system and this test doesn't matter. My boss makes you do that and they don't listen. They go, no, he'll fail us. And I go, no, you won't. He's Mr. Hopwood. He won't fail us. Yeah. Did you do it? We, no, it never worked. It never worked. Yeah, we went to high school with some real sticks in the mud. Um, <laughs> it was us. We were the sticks in the mud. <laughs> I think with that, Ganymede disappears into a, a blast of glitter. Yay. And we're off to our quest. But I think we should take an ad break. All right. We're back and we are investigating our first suspect. We're going to Midtown. Yes. Nasty. It's Times Square time. What is Midtown? Midtown is like the part of New York City between what would you say, roughly like, ooh, like 30th and 60th, right? Yeah, below the park. <laughs> below the park and above the neighborhoods with more character, quote-unquote. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I really enjoy how every New Yorker finds an opportunity to remind you that they do not enjoy Times Square. I want to read the opening of this chapter. Here's a challenge. Try to do a full day of school. Actually, that could be the whole challenge by itself. And then afterward, go on a quest to find a goddess, knowing that when you get home, if you get home, you'll still have a couple hours of math and science homework to do. I was feeling pretty salty as we headed downtown, and it had nothing to do with my salty sailor. Every chapter opener for this entire book is like a hook, which reminds me of how a lot of the people who love Percy Jackson as kids aren't kids who necessarily love reading. I think that Rick is really good at helping kids who don't have that natural like desire to read to feel really engaged with his books because every time you turn the page, you're like, okay, something's going on. He's being funny again. King of a hook. But also, this is so... This is so high school. Maddie, I know you do extracurriculars. <laughs> Did you feel this was relatable to you? Yes. Um, yes. Because <laughs> it's like everything's kind of complicated at the moment because we're about to go into exams because Australian school year. And so I've got not normal lacrosse. I've got lacrosse but played indoor on a basketball court with a really annoying, very soft rubber ball. Box but lacrosse. You, no, that's different. Oh, this, oh that's right. I'm playing two kinds of lacrosse at the moment, neither of which is actual lacrosse. But anyhow, long story short, one of them you can smack people with a stick, one of them you can't. But I found this. Can I give you a quick sidebar? As a parent, I, t- I went to the first box lacrosse match on the weekend and it's Maddie and one other girl from the state team and like 27, 15-year-old boys hitting them with sticks. It's great. Thanks. Push them into the walls. Like you can have your stick there and there are walls around the court, which is like fake grass. And so if someone's got the ball and they're running up the side of the field, then you can just grab your stick and shove them in the wall and pin them there so they can't move. You can't do that in women's lacrosse. It's very much non-contact. But in this one, they're all wearing yeah. helmets and armour and hitting yeah, each other awesome. with sticks and no one does anything. <laughs> Not armor. <laughs> yeah, like you've got the ribbed thing and elbow yeah, pads and gloves. Yeah, 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 yeah. Crazy. But anyway, on, we're talking yeah. about Percy Jackson. So Sorry. On the school thing. Because like I've got I've got that. I've got I've, I've I like tutor kids in maths. I've got a lot on and then I've got exams and then after all of that I've got to go home and do Latin homework. Like this afternoon, I think it's about 
five hours of Latin that I've got to do. I'm punching the sky off screen because as a parent, I'm the one who's making her do this. No, that working. was mum. Well, <laughs> but yeah, after this, I get to sit down and do five hours of Latin homework and I'm only in year 10, so it only goes... Isn't that fantastic? Because <laughs> <laughs> Tom is like fist bumping right now. I need you all to know that. <laughs> I have this very unimpressed look on my face because I have two more years of this. So you can identify yeah. with this. You're welcome. Yeah, let's celebrate that. I mean, really though, I sometimes like I'm super busy in my like 20 something life, but I still don't think I'll ever be as busy as I was in high school. Yeah. You really because like barely slept. Psychology, like this stuff. I cannot wait for you to get to college. Like, even my psychologist, like, she's just sitting there going, Yeah, this this really sucks. I cannot wait for you to get to no, not your parents are really mean. They interrupt. That's true. It's true that you're learning time management. People used to say that to me all the time. They're like, you're learning how to manage your time. And I was like, what does that mean? But it's true. Yeah. yeah. See, that's interesting because I, for me, it was uni- me, it was university. Like what you're describing high school was like for you, that didn't hit me until university. Maybe that's a generation. Okay, thing. but to be fair, you kind of just dropped into an arts degree halfway through your university was- for the sake of it with your friend. That's true. He started just sitting in on arts <laughs> classes when he had a spare moment, and by the by the end of what, like your fourth they year gave or something, me a degree. Yeah, they just they just, just handed an extra one. Him and his friend, because when they had a spare minute, they'd just pop in and go in the arts classes, and the teachers just like, "Do you guys do you want the degree?" And they're like, "Yeah, sure." And so now he's got like a triple degree or something. University was different in those days, children. It was- <laughs> <laughs> that's super cool, though. It's fun. Wow. Yeah, that's okay. really cool. I wouldn't say I had a sort of major. It was just a patchwork major of all sorts of <laughs> random stuff we were interested in. But it was, it was yeah. anyway. Percy Jackson. Yes. So, so Grover, Gro- Grover already knows where we're going because Grover has um, a goat nose. This is a fun throwback. We love when Grover can just magically give us information because Seder powers. <laughs> he, he he apparently knows Hebe's shop because um, he like went there for licorice. The shop itself. What do we think about this? The, the like basic high level idea of the shop is that it is like Dylan's candy bar and Chuck E. Cheese, like smashed into one and then elevated, like taken up an order of magnitude. I believe they call it low rent Lotus Casino. Yeah. Yes. That is a beautiful comparison. Oh, is the Lotus Casino the bit there was there was two children of Hades, I seem to recall from the podcast, who were put in this casino where time travelled at a different rate because Hades was trying to, because there was some deal between the major gods that yes. we're not going to have children. Yes. Because, and they all did because the gods are the worst. And Hades hid his children. Well, actually, Hades casino. is the only one who didn't break the oath because this was this was before Hades had Bianca yes. and Nick before they uh, swore the oath. Yep. So Zeus had and broke it, but Hades was actually Hades was actually good about it. Okay, but that's the latest casino is a casino where, where time passes at a different yep. rate. Yeah, two points. Two points yep. for that. Bam. Okay. Bam. We yeah, we we are loving the original series throwbacks. This note, I really appreciate this. We're getting. I think that Rick is trying to explicitly tie us in to all of the moments from the movies that people have isolated and taken out and been like, oh yeah, that's fun. That's Percy Jackson there. That's what's happening right now. Is that Percy's the right age for Logan Lerman, and now we're going to kind of the Lotus Casino because also the Lotus Casino scene in the movie, like, was not. It didn't really look like Las Vegas. It looked like this. It looked like a, like a psychedelic, children's video game space candy bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My main issue with the Lotus Casino scene in the movie is Grover, because as I recall, oh, yeah. in the Lotus 100%. Casino in the film. Grover has about 17 girls in bikinis all fawning over mm-hmm. him. 
And this is not something yes. Grant would ever do, no matter what age he is. And I remember just sitting there watching this film being like, um, no. Like, I think I just had to turn off the TV and just sit there for a minute and, like, process what I have just seen because there is no way Grover would ever act like that. I get the impression that a lot of the fan base, while they loved having a Percy Jackson film, there was they had certain issues with some aspects of the film. <laughs> among the worst i would say grover characterization among the most um Mm -hmm. egregious problems next to persebeth i know i have strong feelings about you i just don't know what they are yet no they're positive or negative yet yeah oh my god yeah (laughs) that ruined my life when they're like fighting at the end and then annabeth's like about to kiss him and then she uses it to like beat him in the fight and it's like book one people this does not happen. Oh, <laughs> being a woman is so hard. Um, <laughs> anyway, this is fun because this is the same trio that we had, right? In The Lightning Thief, mm-hmm. they have this these shared references. Like Percy, I think he even he's like, I didn't have to explain that reference because we were all there. And oh, this is very short, but there's a little description Percy has of Annabeth that goes straight into a description of Sally where Annabeth is like getting excited about a game. Um, and then he's like, wow, this must've been a game that she played like when she was really little because she's been at camp since she was seven. It, it's a game where like you're putting, build, kind of like Tetris, I guess. And he's like, of course it makes sense that Annabeth would like that game because she's all about building things and making things and mm-hmm. architecture and permanence. And then he thinks a bit about Sally and gives us another throwback to the days when Sally worked at um, Sweet on America, the candy shop. Yeah. And how his mom, this beautiful passage about how Sally was his hero growing yes. up because he thought it was pretty cool as a kid to have a mom who was the candy shop lady and who always made people smile. And even though that was like probably the worst period of Sally's life, he mm-hmm. like looks back, he like he feels this like weirdness, bittersweetness looking back on it and being like, I love that period. My mom was like a hero to me, even though she was so miserable. I have like that whole two yeah. paragraphs like underlined and then I've got like a big sticky note on it just like Percy's appreciation of Sally grows so much over the series like he always knows that she's a mother but he kind of it like it kind of increases over the series like at first he's just like why is she married to Gabe like he's awful and then he realizes and then he's like oh it was for me and then like more and more stuff happens and then she gets married to Paul and he and he recognizes more and more just how amazing she is and just how much she deserves the world and every just everything that she has now and her career as an author Paul uh okay Estelle's not born yet but Estelle when Estelle is born <laughs> and yeah it's just it makes my heart it makes my heart glow it's so sweet yeah does she get a younger sister yeah oh spoiler alert that's <laughs> nice. and she has she has inexplicable gray hair, which yeah. is fun. World's first salt and pepper baby. Nice. Okay. And <laughs> the fate of, I think it's, Magnus Chase is saving the world for Estelle as well, isn't he? Yes. That's a, oh, my God. He literally says that. You're That's right. Mm-hmm. For both for is Magnus. For the dad, yeah. Apollo. Okay, I've got some homework to do. I'll look at it. I don't want to digress yes. too much in the, the podcast. The, the, the point being, Estelle is wonderful. Okay, good. Magnus hasn't yeah. even met Estelle and he's saving the entire world for her. And Estelle is Percy's half-sister. Yeah. I got that right. But she's yeah. Percy's sister. Okay, cool. So we're establishing heebie-jeebies as a nostalgia trap. This is, I think we briefly mentioned this on our last episode. I thought this was so fun of Rick to, in like less than 50 pages in to be like, Let's talk about what it is to be a nostalgia trap because this book is basically a nostalgia trap. 
Okay, so this is like it's very meta. Go ahead, wait, go ahead, Maddie. So this is the part that I have like really deep thoughts on, and like this book and how it's a nostalgia trap and how please go off. Okay, so he's like clawing us out, and like you remember earlier when Percy's talking about like how this was his last summer at camp. I kind of like connected that to like our last summer at camp, but it's like and Rick's like going, okay, now it's time for you guys to move on as well and move on from Camp Half Blood, and this whole thing Mm. of like, and I, I might be stretching it a bit here, but like kind of like almost we are the gods. And, like, we're the ones who keep sending Percy on these quests for our happiness and for the sake of us and little things that we want yes. because we want to be able to just when we're feeling a bit down open up one of these books and be like, here's Percy saving the world from the giants and Gia, here's Percy getting his college recommendation letters and because it's because of us that these books keep being made and we can but because the gods can't interfere really in demigod affairs, we can't really interfere in this. We can watch it happen but we can't really control it or control what happens and then rick is kind of like the poseidon because he he created percy and he can he he really cares about percy but there's only so much he can do because he knows what has to happen in the books and so he will put percy through it he will throw percy into tartarus because he knows that's like the fate of these books and the gods can't interfere with fate and (laughs) yeah and then Nostalgia trap thing, and it's Rick kind of being like, "Yeah, you guys are really attached to these books. You've been attached to them for years, and this book, it, we, do, I'm, I'm taking you back to that time period, and it is fully and 100 a nostalgia trap. And yeah. but it's not necessarily a bad thing that we're falling completely into it head first because I mean we are yeah. clearly. It's just kind of there, and nostalgia. It's, it's kind of like saying that nostalgia isn't always good, but it's not always bad either. Yeah, yeah. It's over. That's interesting you say that because I walked away from that whole nostalgia trap sequence of thinking he's not actually saying it's a bad thing. Like mm. he's, he's sort of, who who's the goddess who, who runs Hebe. it? Hebe. 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 Hebe, the goddess of youth, which is why this all makes sense. I don't think we connected those dots. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> For the listeners. <laughs> um, and and she's, she's not a malicious, as gods go, she comes out of this pretty well. She's not trying to trick people. She's just providing a service that makes people happy. And yeah. that, in the light of this whole book is a nostalgia trap, that makes a lot more sense to me now. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I also agree with what you're saying, Maddie, about like I think that this book is sort of serving us as a gentle – I mean, I would be surprised if Rick never wrote another PJO book, but <laughs> if he didn't, I think that we could think about this little trio of books we're getting as a gentle way of saying goodbye yeah, like he's kind of letting us down slowly because like, he did say that Tower of Nero was going to be the last one and then yeah. just like, changed his mind on that almost immediately. But like with these, like, if it did end after this trilogy, it wouldn't be awful. Like you, we'd, you'd kind of be able to accept it and just go, well, we had our we had our last hurrah with Annabeth, Grover and Percy, the original trio. And the only reason why I'd really start getting worried that that's what's going to happen is if in the next few books we start kind of, the next couple of books, we check in with all of the other characters. Like we check in with Raina and Nico, like, and the rest of the heroes of Olympus, then I would get start getting pretty concerned because if it's kind of like checking in with them and it's like Raina's having a great time with the hunters, Thalia's having a great time being the lieutenant, Piper's doing well with Shell out in Oklahoma, then I would kind of be like, oh, (laughs) That's it. It's, yeah. We're saying goodbye. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a really good point. And we should be on the lookout for that in two Octobers from now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, should we now have a brief conversation about karaoke and not standing for the slander? <laughs> <laughs> 
that Richard is trying to put on the name of karaoke. I was greatly offended. I was deeply offended. I'm a big karaoke yes. fan. I will defend karaoke to the end. I knew I knew we clicked, you guys. Karaoke is <laughs> <laughs> important. It is. It's very important. I, I think a piece of cultural context that is useful to bring in here is that um, what they're referring to is that Hebe is like at the karaoke bar. Very different. This is conceptually. This is like, I don't know that everyone knows this. Karaoke bars are an American thing and they're an ethnic American thing. And by ethnic American, I mean that they are not the way that Asian Americans um, engage in this pastime or Asian Asians engage in this pastime. Because traditionally, karaoke is like in a room with just your friends and you like eat snacks and you drink and you um, and you like engage in songs that that specific crowd of people knows and can appreciate. Just clarify, so if I went to a karaoke bar in, like, Seoul or, or Tokyo or something, it would be a little private room for me and my friends as opposed to... It's not a bar, exactly. You would go up and they would check you into a room and you and your friends would hang out there and pick songs and, yeah, do do your own individual thing as a like, that individual thing. Small group thing, yeah. Oh. The, the, the generous interpretation of the disdain that we are getting for this um, <laughs> important cultural practice and art is maybe because they're, they're not engaging in it as it was meant to be right. necessarily engaged in. But also, karaoke bars, it's not my ideal form, but they still bang. Mm-hmm. You know, like, even even then. <laughs> I yeah. actually think this is a part that people were really arguing over because I think that Percy and Annabeth's dislike for um, karaoke also comes from the fact that neither of them are good singers. This was something people were like, right. I refuse Chaotically. to believe that Percy's a bad singer. Like, that is not a characterization I can accept. Wow. <sighs> I would be yeah. surprised if he was a good singer. Yeah, yeah. From, I don't know. I don't. I don't have. You know, he can I, be an average singer. I think it works better if he's a bad singer. But like, I, I'd accept yeah. him being an average singer. But I just don't think he could be a good singer. Yeah, I agree. I think that Percy as a bad singer makes a lot of sense. Percy and Annabeth as yeah. bad singers. Yeah, and that's okay. We can appreciate that as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, we have to shout out this perhaps the most iconic quote of the book. Quote, I am a guy of limited talents. If I can't kill it with water, a sword, or sarcasm. I am basically defenseless. <laughs> okay. Change water to boomerang and you have a soccer quote. Boomy, you yeah. do always come back. Yeah. He would. That is 100%. I, I, can, I can hear soccer's voice saying that. Maddie, I'm looking for the merch. They Maddie. were, they, the, the licensing was ready to go with this one. <laughs> yeah. No, I've started, I've, Dad's watching Legend of Korra now. He hasn't watched Avatar, but we're watching Legend of Korra together. That's kind of slayful. His favorite character is Bolin, and Bolin's he loves awesome. Naktok. Bolin is fantastic. If there are Aww. any other people listening, um, Korra is, is really good. I'm greatly <laughs> strong endorsed on that one? message. We're on season two. We're like, you know those okay. episodes where it's like beginnings, it's like the first Avatar one, and it's that whole thing about how he yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was really cool. The art. Yes. <laughs> the way the animation style changed. No, it's amazing. That's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. It's really nice with all the, were they lion turtles? Yeah. And and the, the style of animation, it, it had a real Spirited Away vibe, um, real Studio Ghibli. Yeah. yeah. And I just love that. And yeah. apparently season three and four are the, the stronger of the four seasons. So yeah. I've got that to look forward to. Season two. I yeah, like I think that's right. That whole dark avatar thing. Like that was, it, 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 it reads. Like, okay, it was a bit strange. Read it, but it, yeah. in, for using a slightly different definition of the word read, it reads a little bit like fan fiction, to be completely honest. Wow, these are all very valid takes. Yeah. I'm liking, what's his name? Who's the, the entrepreneur guy? Varric. Varric. 
Barrick I like. Mates inside the platypus there, that sort of stuff. It's crazy. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Percy Jackson talk. Barrick, what do we have to say? There's stuff going on. We talk to Hebe. We, we meet, meet the Hebe. chickens and we meet Hebe. And yeah. that's basically... That's tea. I think that's it, right? We're, we're, it. we're like, we meet Hebe and we're about to get into a delightful conversation with her. But I think we're going to have to have that conversation next time. I think so. I think maybe what we'll do, let's dip into the next chapter just so we can mention this quote that we were talking about and kind of maybe close off our conversation on that theme. And then we'll like pick back up with the plot of chapter seven next time. But this is the, this is page 50. Um, well, there's one other thing in the first page of chapter seven that I want to mention. Is Go that ahead. Okay? Okay, so Please. it's the, it's the the Wednesdays were pizza days. I remembered the burnt cheese smell, smell in our basement cafeteria, the cracked green plastic chairs, the feverish conversations I used to have with my friends about trading cards, the history teacher who was our lunch mo- lunch monitor, Mister Christ. No kidding, that was his actual name. We were too scared to ask what his first name was. I have that underlined as Riordan versus Madness setup. <gasps> Maddie, both of you just jumped forward yeah. with your cameras when she said that. <laughs> Well, it is. I mean, Mr. Christ, this is clearly the oh, villain. Yeah, no, that's that's Wasn't how they it? would set it up. Maddie, You're so right. Jesus has been secretly stalking Percy Jackson his entire life. Uh, he's he, he's keeping an eye on him, so he knows what he's up against. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Okay, so you guys, Tom, do you guys want to explain the Riordan versus Madness thing to Dad? Please, can you give Tom the sixty-second recap on why Percy Jackson is about to fight Jesus? <laughs> this is going in an unexpected direction. <laughs> Erica and Carter came up with I think it was when you guys were talking about the dark prophecy but like there's going to be like another big series where Percy and the other Greek demigods team up with the Romans the Egyptians and Magnus Chase and all of their RRP characters yes and they all team that up. part is canon the fact that there's going to be a team up is canon who they're teaming up against we speculated wildly about it could be climate change <laughs> or it could be Jesus we're currently leaning towards Jesus, Jesus. oh okay. um, and now so I this is why this is important so okay. here we have with this little reference here Percy's history teacher and lunch monitor, Mr. Christ. Okay, now I understand the reference. Okay. It's the leading. Yeah. That's the it. most brilliant. I, I, wow. That, that, that I can't believe day. I didn't yeah, pick up on that. That's amazing. Thank you, Maddie. Uh, co-author of The Reared Adverse of Madness. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm, we will. <laughs> I'm a bit emotional now. I love that theory so much. <laughs> um, okay, to close off this conversation about Percy and getting older... Annabeth remained focused on the karaoke boomers. They were now belting out a slow, sad song about where all the flowers had gone. I wanted to shout, I don't know, why don't you go outside and look for them? What a fabulous generation, Hebe said, admiring the geriatric singers. Even now, they refuse to accept growing old. She turned to me. And you, Percy Jackson, I assume you've come to ask a favor. Perhaps you're starting to regret turning down immortality? Here we go, I thought. (laughs) Every time the gods brought up my rejection of Zeus's offer, they treated it as a sign of stupidity or worse, as an insult to god kind. I hadn't figured out a great way to explain it to them. Like, maybe if you all promised to claim your demigod children sooner so your kids weren't living their whole lives not knowing who they were or where they came from, that would be a win for everyone. (laughs) I must have looked like I was about to bust out the sarcasm because Annabeth intervened. He made the selfless choice, she said. Because of that, your kids got their own cabin at Camp Half-Blood. You finally got the respect you deserve. He be narrowed her eyes. Perhaps. Still, Percy Jackson, turning down eternal youth, you can't really want to grow old. Don't you understand how terrible that will be? There didn't seem to be a right answer to that. Honestly, I'd spent most of my life wishing I could be older. 
so I could get to college, get out of the target years where monsters were trying to kill me every other day. I didn't want to contradict the goddess, though, so I tried a careful answer. I mean, getting older is part of life. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm an old person. This comes back later. I can vouch for that. <laughs> Remember this. It comes back later. But with the with the thing about Percy trying to, like, spending most of his life wishing he could get older, I relate to that so much because right now I'm just kind of like, get out of high school, then it'll, I'll get to university and it's all going to be so much, it's going to be so much better, it's going to be so much fun. I'll be at university with, like, instead of having 100 people in my year level, hopefully one or two of whom I'll really connect with, it'll be like there's thousands of people at university and, like, a ton of them will like the same things I like and it'll be really great. It will. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and also with that, I must have looked like I was about to bust out the sarcasm because Annabeth intervened. I love that so much. This book, <laughs> yeah. Every single thing Percy does, it's then I did this because if I didn't, Annabeth would be mad or I wanted to do this, but I didn't because if I did, Annabeth would be mad. All of his external motivation is Annabeth. Like Annabeth's in charge and Percy knows it. It feels... I know the dynamic is slightly different, but it feels like Harry, Hermione, and Ron. <laughs> in that you've got the hero boy. Be very careful. And then you've got. Else. I know. I know the, the relationships aren't there because Hermione and Ron end up with each other. So clearly that's not going to happen. But, but you've got you've got the the hero boy. You've got the girl who's actually smarter than everyone and keeps things on the rails <laughs> and stops the hero boy from doing stupid things. And you've got the other boy who's not the hero. Yeah. How can it be follow the butterflies? Yeah. <laughs> no, you're kind of right there, except Percy's kind of like a combination of Harry and Ron because Harry's not funny. Harry's the chosen one and that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's true. Whereas Ron is the comedic relief and Percy manages to be the chosen one, sometimes smart, and also the comedic relief yeah, all at once. And then Grover's just kind of like if J.K. Rowling had put a fourth character in there. We have sent you down so <laughs> many rabbits. So much of this stuff is going to happen. No, this is such a good point, though. I never thought about that. like the like what Rick has gifted to us in like the literary canon is someone who can be the chosen one and also funny. Yeah, just so <laughs> split up. Like in most forms of media, yes. you've got like even like Avatar. Like you've got Ang, who's the Avatar. He's the main guy, and then you've got Sokka. and Sokka's yeah. entire. Thing. Sure, he gets character development, and he gets Suki, and he's like he's an actual person. But mostly he's there for comedic relief and to be the meat and sarcasm guy. And Cora and Violin. And to learn how to not be misogynistic. Yes. In the first the two seasons. Yeah. It was sexism in like two seconds. <laughs> and then two seasons. He turns he turns into a feminist. Yeah. Thank you, Kiyoshi Warriors. I know what the Kiyoshi Warriors are. We had a whole half hour discussion <laughs> on the way to lacrosse training about the Kiyoshi Warriors. But I've heard of them. Good. They're important historically. They're yeah. the hunters of Artemis of the Avatar universe. Oh, that is excellent. Oh, wow. The great part is I did not, like, I hadn't read these chapters when I asked you guys to come on for them. And then when I read them, I was like, these are so appropriate because I feel like this conversation about getting out of the target years for <laughs> monsters and, like, making it to college, like, I feel like that's what we were talking about last time. And so this was, this was perfect. Yeah. faded to be perfect. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys for being here to discuss boomers and <laughs> historical context and all of these things. We do have questions for you. Ooh, okay. Actually, it's one question for both of you, which is, especially especially for Tom, since uh, now we're like really in the thick of of these characters being present with us. Is Persebeth the greatest love story ever told? Absolutely. It's awesome. 
<laughs> and that is coming from someone who has read eight chapters of The Sun and the Star and eight chapters of this book. <laughs> he hasn't even read oh. them getting together. He's just heard about it and even he agrees that it is the greatest love I've story heard, ever told. I've heard a lot. I've, I've got a lot of the plot from your podcast. Yeah. I've listened to a lot of your podcast. <laughs> and I would say that not only is it the greatest love story ever told, I think it's just kind of the greatest relationship ever told because even before they were in love and they were together, they were amazing as friends too. And that's why this, that's why that's why it becomes the greatest love story ever told. Because I think it's just what they have is just something you'd want to aspire to in all of your relationships, like whether it be romantic or platonic. Like the respect they have for each other and the 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 chemistry they've got, the banter, the way that they can look out for each other and support each other and trust each other. Like that's just that is goals, no matter what kind of relationship you're talking about. You need to remember that. <laughs> best friend like me and your mother then that's <laughs> absolute gold hang Remember on hang that. on hang on so you're married and you've just said that Percival is the greatest love story ever told oh come on give me a break <laughs> what I'm saying <laughs> mum will listen to this episode will, and she will mother. hear you no, Tom <laughs> are you Percy or Annabeth <laughs> I'm Percy would you agree Maddie I don't think mum's really Annabeth though Oh my goodness! No, 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 mum's smart, but like, I feel like she's smarter than me. I don't know that you're really Percy either. Like, I just don't think I had to choose. I had to choose. (laughs) (laughs) Did you say you hardly know her? Because that's so funny. (laughs) I literally cannot wait to one day shame my children by saying, you don't even know your father at all. (laughs) You don't know him like I do. I would have chosen Grover maybe if I had the choice. Mom's juniper. Thank you, guys. You're the best. Having it's a so to have you here. It's like meeting celebrities. <laughs> when we do a Legend of Korra show one day, yes. you guys should do yes. the Legend of Korra show and then invite us there. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. You should do that, mate. That would be awesome. Well, when we come back, we will actually talk about Chapter 7 um, <laughs> with a returning guest. Everybody, thank Tom and Maddie. Sorry, full name. Maddie, who won trivia, and Tom, her dad. Everybody say thank you for being here all the way from Australia. Thank you for having me. Oh, wait. Do you guys have anything to promote? No, I don't think so. I'll plug Rick. You guys should all follow Rick. He's great. Read his books. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. On that note, thank you guys so much. We'll see you next time. Bye. See you later. Bye, y'all.